Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the show. The creator of the Living Balance Sheet is back with your host, Jim McGovern, to talk about creating a more balanced and confident financial life. Jim, Bob Ball has been with you before on this podcast, Maximizing Outcomes. So give us a recap of your discussion last time. Absolutely. So as I mentioned in the last episode that uh, Bob was so gracious to agree to do two back-to-back episodes. So he's he's back today for part two. And uh, before we, we do a quick recap of what we talked about last time, I just want to set the stage for today's conversation. I've been fortunate. I know Bob has been fortunate that we've both been able to speak in front of tens of thousands of people total during our careers. And I know Bob's approach has been this way. Mine's always been exactly the same. That every time I speak in front of a crowd or Bob speaks in front of a crowd, we know that we'll we'll never spend one-on-one time with the vast majority of the people in the crowd. And because of that, my purpose has always been exactly the same. That anytime I'm presenting to a group or anytime uh, I'm, I'm recording a podcast episode, I want to make sure that everybody has some type of a clear action step that they can take, something they learn from our time together that they can actually implement. So that if we never cross paths again in our lifetime, their life has been improved as a result of, of us spending some time together. That's why we do the show. That's also what we're focusing on today. Bob went through all the symptoms that we faced last time. We're going to do a quick recap. But today is about what steps can people take? Why is each step so important? And what's the order of decisions that, that people should be operating under? So there's going to be a lot of to do. So uh, if you're not driving, listen to this. I, I recommend you grab a notepad. Probably listen to the last episode at least one or two more times and, and get ready to take a, a bunch of notes because there's going to be a lot of great action steps. So with that, Bob, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Jim. Pleasure to be here once again. So let's just start off by going through just a recap of what we talked about last time and just talking about what those symptoms are and what they mean, and then we'll jump into uh, what folks can do about it. Okay. Well, I actually watched the and listened to the replay this morning just to get focused so that our time together in part two would be the most valuable to your listeners. And as a reminder, in part one, We started with the notion that the future is unpredictable and that to do a traditional needs-based plan requires a lot of guesswork and establishing a target and a time frame and a rate of return assumption, all leading to how much one needs to save into the plan to hit that target. And what we help our clients do is to throw that approach out and in exchange for the goal being total, improved financial balance. And so when we look at a client's situation, and all client situations are unique in some way, but they also have a high degree of similarities, one household to the next. Those similarities include people taking enormous amounts of risk, speculating their way through time, hoping that it works out. As a result, they've been taught that maybe savings isn't as important as it actually is, So they have high risk and low savings as the underpinnings of their financial game plan. In addition, we find that they're storing wealth in areas where it's quite difficult to go access that wealth when life shows up with a different agenda. And then the whole while going from 
right out of college, first job, all the way to retirement, people are vulnerable against what could happen today from a protection standpoint. Lawsuit, mother nature, illnesses, loss of income due to death or disability, all of the calamities that people potentially could face, we find the protection that should buffer against those possibilities being either absent or minimal in nature. So that's what people look like. And even though each situation has unique characteristics and what people aspire to achieve varies, those symptoms catch our attention, especially when we compare them to what optimal financial balance looks like. So Bob, let's let's start off by just addressing one of the big symptoms that just kind of builds over time, right? And, and you mentioned the last episode that, you know, debt appears in our lives when we can't afford something, but we go ahead and we buy it anyway. And sometimes that behavior continues on for many years, if not decades. And then someone might be listening to the show going, you know, I, I hear you, Bob, we need to improve what we're saving, but we, we have so much debt. So, so where can people start with these hurdles they're facing, when, especially when it comes to something as punishing as debt? Well, we, if you remember last episode, we defined what debt is. And that is, you couldn't afford something, but you bought it anyway. And that just basic definition frames up the choices that people have. Spending your future today comes at a cost. And we all have the ability to make our own choices, but we're never free from the consequences of those choices. And that's especially true as it relates to planning and finance and your money. So it's common that consumers with best of intentions hope that there's some money at the end of the month so that they can save it for a future financial purpose. And what far too often is the case is that there's too much month at the end of the money. So there's right off the bat, there's this misalignment between spending and saving. And the best way to save is to save. And the best way to ensure that you're actually going to enjoy the benefits of saving is to do that first. And the way that that is accomplished is by segregating at the beginning of each pay period, the money that you're going to live on during that month with the money that is intended for a future financial purpose. We're going to talk about liquidity, I'm sure, again this morning. But the first step is to create two sets of books to be have a business-like approach to wealth building so that there's no co-mingling and you're not operating on an ad hoc basis. There's actually a structure in place that directs cash flow for the future. And the remaining amount of money is the, the money that is intended to be expensed out for lifestyle today. That's That structure, which you routinely set in place for all of your clients, sets people into this completely different area of financial possibilities. They don't have to worry about hoping that there's money that can be saved at the end of the month because that savings is occurring on the front end of each pay period. And so structure is paramount to successful wealth building, separate sets of books, no co-mingling, moving away from ad hoc and hoping to do it, but actually doing it. And so then you're just looking at an amount of cash flow that your life will require. The formula that we use is 80% of what you make is for lifestyle and taxes and insurance. And the other 20% has already been set aside for future wealth building agendas. What gets in the way of that is things that are already in place that are hardwired into the current situation 
around debt. New cars with big payments each month, credit card bills that don't go away each month because the balance is still there. They're reoccurring in nature. Mortgage payments that are 25, 30, 35% of gross cash flow. All of these pre-existing conditions are things that you and I have to deal with. And if you'll remember, we asked the question to our clients, what's more important, you or your family or some lending institution? And the answer that we get resoundingly is that, well, we're more important. We're more important than that financial institution. So we simply take that and compare it to the debt payoff strategies that our clients are currently involved with. And we might, we quite often are able to engineer a release of cash flow for wealth building purposes and even improve lifestyle today by making sure things like minimum payments for credit card debt as a temporary strategy, expanding the time frame for student loan payback from six or seven years to 25 years, thereby lowering the payment, making sure that your mortgage payment is no more than 15% of what you make each month on a gross basis. And if that's not the case, then we're looking at maybe things like home equity line or loan consolidation or converting to a credit card that causes you to have to pay off the balance each month rather than rolling up debt on an increased basis over time. All of these, Jim, can be visualized by your listeners by thinking of debt as being in a bucket filled to the brim, dripping over the sides, no more room for any more debt. That's the way it feels for many consumers. And what we're able to do is to take that bucket of debt and find the biggest garden tub, bathtub that we can locate and pour that existing debt into the bottom of the tub. And it's the same amount of debt, but the difference in the container of that debt comes to the consumer in the form of better interest rates, better payback terms, extending the time frame with which debt has to be retired. And that releases cash flow today that can be used for wealth building, the client's balance sheet as opposed to the balance sheet of the institutions in question. So Bob, let, let's take what we've, we've covered so far and just kind of combine the two topics. Is that, that, that first step was to become a world-class saver, right? And living in that 80-20 rule. If I can if I can live on 80% of my income and save the other 20%, there's enormous amounts of wealth building potential tied up in that formula. But sometimes the roadblock to saving more is is the debt structure. So can you give us just an example? I just want the audience to be able to paint the picture of what, what some people do is low savings rate, trying to get a really high rate of return. And there's no predictability in that, right? Sometimes we take huge risks trying to trying to chase some high rate of return. And then by the time you throw in volatility and taxes and fees, it, it nets down to a pretty small number versus somebody else who says, you know what, at a, at a maybe a lower rate of return assumption, I'm going to be an excellent saver. Do you have an example you can give us to, to kind of picture that mountain of wealth difference? Sure. And it's it's really significant, that difference. Let's take a hypothetical mutual fund of 12%. And let's let's be real hypothetical and assume that that 12% is going to be the rate of return enjoyed by a consumer for 30 years. After fees have been paid out of that return and after income taxes on the profits of that return, maybe it's a 8% rate of return on a net basis. And so because of that rate of return being the engine of the future for that client, they only save 6% of their annual income, which in this situation, let's say is $1,000 a month or $12,000 a year of savings. Even if 
household income increases and that 6% ratio continues to grow over a 30-year period, earning 8% as a 6% saver, one would expect to have somewhere a little bit more than $2 million accumulated. And you might say that that's good or not. The question is, how much control, as you mentioned, Jim, do you have on that outcome? What's important and interesting for our clients to discover is that as a 20% saver with zero rate of return, money literally buried in the backyard, that same 30-year time frame produces the exact same $2 million of wealth. So what that proves is that it's not the rate of return that you hope to enjoy that's the most powerful. The most powerful wealth-building mechanism that you can actually control is your prowess as a world-class saver. And isn't it backwards, actually, that if you thought there was a high rate of return mutual fund available to you, wouldn't it make sense to save more into that account and into that fund as opposed to less? So it really showcases the, the futility of the financial planning formula itself that says if you can get a rate of return of X, then you don't have to save as much to hit the goal. And what we say is let's handle adequate world-class savings first, take the pressure off rate of return chasing. And if you happen to enjoy a rate of return, even better than expected, then you're the better off for it. Because if you actually earned 8% and were saving at a world-class rate, now it's multiple millions of dollars in excess of the $2 million that we just discussed. Right. So we're not saying don't earn a rate of return. We're just saying control what you can control. And that's the cash flow. If, if you can get the cash flow figured out, the rate of return is certainly meaningful, but the power is in how much you were able to put away. That's correct. Uh, and, and, and if we could just for a second, Jim, let's have your listeners look forward in time out to age 65 and think about all the market fluctuations, the income taxes paid and the good years and bad years of, of what rates of return actually accrued. People are going to require more money than maybe they imagine. And we ask clients, when you get to 65 and you've accumulated this nest egg, would you spend that entire nest egg between age 65 and 70? And they look, at us, they look at us sort of puzzled and say, well, of course not. And, and what was the answer, Jim, that they give us as to why they wouldn't do that? Well, in case they don't die this year. I mean, what if they live more than one year? Right. Or after five years between 65 and 70, they're, they're still alive and yet all the money's gone. And so then we just say, well, how about 10 years between 65 and 75? Would you spend your entire nest egg during that time? And what's the answer? Of course not. If they wake up in year 11, they're still alive. They're, they're dead broke. For the same reason. And, and then we say, how about 20 years? And what we typically get at that point is, well, maybe, but even then they agree that that's an unknown. And your listeners need to understand that the unknown duration of one's retirement, it sets up the biggest obstacle and challenge for all financial planning and all retirement distribution planning. How long exactly will your client live into retirement? And so if someone's 65, married with children, grandchildren, it's not just how long they will live, but it, it intersects and collides with any kind of legacy objectives that they have from a standpoint of, if I spend my nest egg during my lifetime, then my spouse won't have it to enjoy for the rest of their life. And I'll have nothing left over for children and grandchildren that I love dearly. So this balancing 
maddening choice between my lifestyle while retired versus important legacy objectives is really the core challenge to all financial decision making. It's out there on the horizon and we bring that forward to a 25, 35, 45 year old client so that they can get a sense for what they're going to con- have to contend with at that point in time in their life. So so the key to all this is, again, it, it's the cash flow, the ability to, to, to save a, a pretty high proportion of one's income, but debt might be what's blocking that currently. So can you just give us a cut, another couple of examples of how some debt solutions can help free up cash flow? Just because I, I think there's some people that are probably listening, they're going, you know, 20% sounds like a huge amount of money. I'm struggling to save 5% or 10% because I'm dealing with all this debt because you just spend a little bit more time on on what that debt strategy can mean to free up cash flow. Sure. So in this podcast, it sounds like it's the flipping of a switch that we're going to wave the magic wand and they're going to go from a 5 or 6% saver to 20%. Sometimes there's opportunities that are just so in front of us that big steps and strides improvements can occur. More often, it's more of a glide path that allows them in the next few years to look back and say, wow, here's what I was saving and here's what I've been able to accomplish in the area of improved savings. So again, the premise is the client's balance sheet, the client, their family, their balance sheet comes first. And so taking a let's get out of debt, let's get out of credit card debt for the next five to seven years, and then we'll be able to save, we would exchange that thought process for paying the minimum payment right now. Even though there's an interest charge on the recurring balance, the cash flow difference between what they have been paying or think they should pay to pay off that debt fast, we could recapture that cash flow by just taking a a lower or minimum payment approach. Another example would be the car payments that might currently be in place. It might be that in 13 months, that car payment ends. They've paid for that car. So what many people do is they just buy a new car. So we would be working with them to sustain that no payment environment for several years, drive a car for seven, eight, nine, 10 years. They're made to run that long. And now we've got a five or six year window that's been created where maybe $600, $700 of cash flow is going off the balance sheet for a car that's depreciating in value. And that difference for those remaining years can now go on to the balance sheet. It could be taking some of the home equity and tapping into the equity through a home equity line of credit to pay off an 18 to 24% credit card, thereby freeing up cash flow via reduced payments. It could be consolidating multiple types of debt into one monthly payment, which can be a significant savings in monthly cash flow. It could be just the mortgage payment itself that maybe, as we talked about in part one, you got in the front seat of that car and and you were pre-qualified for this huge mortgage, Uh, maybe just either refinancing to a lower payment or perhaps just staying in the house and fixing the house over time as repairs are required so that as income increases, that 15% rule for mortgage payments starts to be satisfied. It's really a multitude of options that you and I are trained to attack. And clients are sitting on our side of the table as we go through this because they want to find a way to relieve the pressure. They see the importance of savings, but like you said, they're lost as to how to go about it. 
Right. And it's finding balance. I mean, just one thing I want to clarify is that, you know, if there's a credit card someone's paying, I mean, I saw one recently, it was it was nearly 30% interest. In that situation, it was such a punitive interest rate they're paying. It was like, yeah, that, that had to be paid off quickly. Uh, but there were some other loans that were you know, significantly lower. And it was find that balance of, hey, let's let's take our time with this one to build up some liquidity. Because, you know, anytime I, I see somebody who's struggling with debt and they're putting every dollar they have towards the debt, every time life throws them a curveball, their only answer is rack up more debt. It's terrible because they feel like they're this, it's just in this never-ending cycle, and they're always robbing Peter to pay Paul, and they feel like they're never making any progress. But we've got to look at all the tools at our disposal and think about not just the mathematics of this, but also the human behavior side of this and find a way to, to strike that balance. That's right. And that's why we speak proudly of our long-term client relationships. We're not in a rush here. Uh, we want the client to see that what their current strategy will result in and that can be a big motivator just to make changes. Uh, but let's let's go at a pace that they're comfortable with. Let's make incremental ongoing improvements because doing that is much more effective than going big and then not being able to sustain it over time. And what can people learn from, I guess, uh, businesses, successful people versus the what you always call the Jones effect? Well, it's a real part of our society, keeping up with the Joneses. And we see people uh, with fancy cars that look good at ballet and they go on vacations, spring breaks with their children, and they, they live in the big neighborhoods and belong to clubs. And you know, we work with those kinds of people. And it could be that they have their financial house in order as well. But quite often, it's just a facade that looks good from the outside. But when you walk in the door, there's nothing back there. Uh, they have the same financial symptoms those Joneses do that we discussed at the beginning of this show. They have low liquidity. They are taking risks. They're not protected properly. Those are the people that maybe are attractive to us, but maybe are leading us down the wrong path. And there is a, there is a large segment of the population that are business owners or that are just practical and almost throwbacks to how things really work and how success can be achieved. And it comes down to spending less than you make, not taking unnecessary risk, having liquidity and flexibility to respond to a life that's unpredictable, and, and valuing the importance of insurance. And, and there are people like that that we emulate and that we help them become that su successful that way, that we know what works. And we can't just hope it works we have to be sure that the outcome that clients deserve actually will occur. So, Bob, let, let's talk a little bit about liquidity. And if you could just define liquidity, like what that means, and there's some people that uh, the term liquidity sounds like financial jargon, but just talk about what that is, what it looks like, why it's so important, and, and how people can achieve greater levels of liquidity. Well, first of all, it's not an emergency fund. It's just not. that. That is a small two or three month worth of, of cash in an account earning virtually no rate of return that's supposed to be able to do something. You know, what if you don't get a job, a new job after a job loss in two to three months? What if it takes longer? What if parent care pops up on your radar that has to be funded out of your financial picture uh, and it extends more than two or three months? So it's really not just bad things happening and it's not just something that's very temporary in nature. It's really, in the living balance sheet, a 50-50 ratio of assets that we consider to be most liquid, more liquid, compared to those that are less liquid or not liquid at all. 
And in the five categories that we actually ask a client to consider when we're just meeting them, money in the bank, investments that you own personally, not part of a qualified plan, but that you own personally, stocks, bonds, mutual funds that you own directly, cash value, life insurance. Those are the three broad areas that have other subtopics and areas in them, but those are the three broad areas that we would regard as being the most liquid. And people should have multiple years of their income stored in those types of property. A lot of money in the bank, but not excessive amounts because of the poor rate of return. And there's other areas in which you can have liquid access to capital and still be in the market and also still be protected in the form of permanent life insurance. So we want account balances at the bank, mutual funds and and personal investments and large amounts of tax-free cash value inside life insurance policies to be a significant part of their wealth building pie. The other 50% would be the less liquid, which is this fence going down the field. And it's, it's on the other side of the fence where access and liquidity disappears. And that would be qualified plans like 401k plans and profit sharing plans, things of that nature. But here we're talking about where the client, your clients, Jim, are actually deferring their own cash flow into those programs, not a corporate benefit that someone else is paying for. And then large homes with large mortgage balances, but also large amounts of capital stored in the form of home equity. Home equity and retirement account balances are without question less liquid than those other three types of property that I just mentioned. So we want to first showcase that. We want to measure what is the balance. Is it 50-50 or close to? And sadly, we see that it's generally 90% plus in less liquid capital and only just a small percentage of the overall working capital in what we would regard as being more liquid. And that means that when life does show up, you're handcuffed. We've seen articles that have been produced that that say that most people have less than $1,000 with which to respond to a changing life circumstance. And what we want that to be, if that's that one, if that's that $200,000 a year household in earned income, we want them to have $200,000 or more of liquid assets. And just connect, Jim, if you will, the 20% per year savings rate with the 100% of liquid capital based upon your income. If you just think through that, it only takes five years for a client to be in this optimal liquid financial position. 20% times five is 100%. So we, like we said, it's not flipping of a switch, but as we improve annual savings, the question becomes, where should that savings go? And in most cases, that new improved savings should go above the line into the bank, into personally owned investments, into the powerful success tool known as permanent life insurance. And we might even dial back some of the current contributions into future qualified plan strategies to accelerate the ability to build short-term liquidity so that opportunities and changing life events can be addressed in equal proportion. Right. Because there, there's obviously there, there's uh, benefits to each of those categories that you mentioned. Like a lot of people like their 401k plan because they get a company match. They like their real estate because they they may just particularly like that asset category. They love the the beauty of the home, whatever it is, but they're just not very accessible. So if something comes up, 
might look good on a balance sheet, might look good uh, as you pull up the car to the curb looking at the house, but you, you can't turn it into spendable cash quickly or without some potential taxes or penalties, things like that. So by building up the liquidity, you're and I've said this on multiple episodes, you're preparing for pretty much any life event that could come your way, whether it's whether it's positive, negative, emergency, opportunity, doesn't matter. You're preparing for everything simultaneously. And I've just found that people tend to have a lot more confidence when they see that liquidity building up. They just don't worry as much. They know if something comes their way, they have a way to respond to it versus trying to sell the house or get a home equity line of credit or uh, reach in. And I find people learn for the first time some of the rules around 401k plans. They, they see a huge balance and they go, I didn't realize that I can only get access to a very small amount of that in the form of a loan that has to be paid back pretty quickly. So, That's correct. And, and keep in mind, we're not talking about a permanent change of direction. We're having to respond to the financial fact pattern that is currently going on in that client situation that we just are meeting with for the first time. We can't just ignore the importance of liquidity and let them continue to drive cash flow in the wrong direction and leave them exposed against what could happen if life changes its mind today. So we might have to take a, an aggressive, temporary approach to have them be positioned like they should be when we first meet them. And so it, it's not like we're going to change directions for the long term forever and there's no flexibility. We actually want to inject flexibility into their financial journey. And so it might be minimum payments for a while. It might be suspending or taking a pause on 401k deferrals for a while. It might be refinancing debt. They might be driving a car for a little bit longer, but we have clients that you've worked with for years who own new cars, who have a successful future to look forward to. They're liquid, they're properly protected. So there's no deprivation. This is not ball and chain. All of these steps that we try to have clients implement lead to happiness and security and less anxiety. It's not something that is drudgery by any means. Right. Yeah. Because I, I think a lot of people are just, they're sick and tired of having to worry. And they don't do that anymore. They don't, they don't want to worry while they're younger, raising their family. They don't want to worry when they're staring retirement in the face. They, they, they want to be able to sleep at night knowing that things are going to be okay. And that's what a lot of these steps are designed to do is to make sure that you're okay under as many circumstances as humanly possible. So that leads us to, to our, our last step, our last topic, which is dealing with the unknowns and, and protecting everything that we're, we're building, protecting the life that we've built for ourselves. So Bob, can you, can you spend a minute just talking about what protection looks like when it's properly constructed? Sure. And, and maybe just as a overarching theme, like we talked about who's more important, you, your family, your balance sheet versus a financial institution. Let's talk about protection. A lot of people are, they get caught up in the odds of things. You know, what are the odds that something will happen? You know, our response to our clients is that nobody has 2.3 children, even though that's the average. And odds as it relates to insurance issues and considerations is really a non-factor. In the one-on-one, -on -one, in your life or your family's journey, it, it's either 0% or 100%. Something bad will happen or it won't. It's either 0 or 100. You make up the average as an individual household, but you don't really benefit or you can't own that average in the singular or one-on-one -on -one aspect. The question that people have to look at, and we help them do this, is not what are the odds of it happening? The question is, if it happened, could you survive the consequences? And if people just thought of insurance that way, they'd be more apt to making sure that their biggest exposure, their largest financial threats 
are properly protected, even if it means that some of the lower or downstream possibilities have to sacrifice a little bit. We, we want everybody to have perfect protection in all areas. And, and yet all possibilities are not tied for first in importance or in the consequences that they create if it occurs. The single biggest risk that every one of your clients faces is the permanent loss of income. Nothing else compares to all the money that flows into their lives, onto their balance sheet, on an increasing basis over decades of time. You add all that up, it's in the tens of millions of dollars for most of your clients. And so when that, for whatever reason, stops, that cash flow ends forever, it sets up the biggest financial calamity that anyone could face. And so we start with that. We, we just share that and clients get that. Losing your car or having it totaled is not the same as a permanent loss of income to, due to death or disability. So your clients are all owners of large amounts of life insurance. They might have some group disability benefit at work, but they also, most of them own personal disability on top of that. So that if death or disability, death or illness or injury occur, that the life that they want for themselves and their family will continue on uninterrupted. And then things like health insurance, things like property and casualty coverages, those are all part of our service to make sure that those individual areas of insurance are also equally addressed as to the risk at hand and the corresponding equal amount of insurance protection. And so we, we really want people to insure the big risk, the huge long-term catastrophic risk. That's what should be protected. And then on the front end, the out-of-pocket, the copay, the deductible amount, that's where self-insurance comes into play because now we're talking about front end, small in nature, and most often, especially if people are liquid, they have the ability to self-insure and absorb any kind of claim that comes that way. But the big, huge, multi-million dollar exposures have to be addressed, and it's a big part of what you do for all of your clients. So Bob, one of the things that I see, well, really, I, I see two things that get in the way of having the full level of protection that somebody is eligible for. The first is knowledge. I mean, I would say the vast majority of people that I've ever met had no idea how much coverage they can get. They don't know how much life insurance they qualify for. They don't know how much disability insurance they can get. A lot of people just assume that they can only get what their employer provides, which is definitely false. They don't have any idea how much liability protection they can get from their property and casualty company. So there's a, there's a clear knowledge gap. But even if we educate somebody on how much protection they can have, there's an elephant in the room in every single conversation. And, and that's, what's this going to cost me? And that blocks people every time. If there's an unaffordable solution put in front of them, I, I just find that they're in this weird spot. Like, well, what do I do? Do I play that odds game and just think, okay, what's the probability this happens to me or not? Maybe, maybe we, can, we can skate by one more year without this protection. But if it's affordable or there's no out-of-pocket cash flow, it's much easier to make decisions. Well, there's no doubt about that. And the proof of that is in our line of questioning with clients. We just simply ask, if insurance had no cost, how much protection would you want? And just like with the visa question or the financial institution question around debt, they get it right. They get it right every time. Well, if you put it that way, I would want to be protected up and down the line, have all the insurance coverage that's available to me. So what's 
led to the dilemma that you're describing, Jim, is the mishandling of the cost issue in our industry. Most times it's the consumer that has to solve that riddle. I'm going to show you how much you need, or I'm going to show you how much is available. Here's what I recommend that you do. And it's up to them to as a consumer to decide where that money is going to come from to pay for it. And that, that's really incredibly unfair. It puts the onus on someone that's not even involved in, in finance or the insurance industry to begin with. We're doing this full time every day. Why don't we take ownership of the cost to see if, in fact, affordability is an objective uh, that can't be handled or if it's an obstacle that stands in the way? And what we know when we look at people through the lens of the living balance sheet is that there's a considerable amount of cash flow that can be identified that some of that money, not all of it, but some of that money can be used to improve the overall level of protection in insurance portfolios for our clients without any noticeable effect on their lifestyle today. In other words, the money's already going somewhere. It's going to pay off debt like we talked about. There's uh, maybe in unnecessary income taxes that are being paid. Maybe deductibles on current coverages are low, which means the premium's high. And those deductibles could be increased in order to save premium. Uh, maybe there's term insurance that's sort of a wasteful out-of-pocket cash flow item that could be repurposed into buying real insurance or permanent life insurance or any of the above. Maybe if we get people to improve their annual savings, maybe some of that, just a sliver of that, should be used at the same time. That discovered or found cash flow can be used to bolster the overall levels of protection. We know from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases that there's always enough cash flow going somewhere that we can now present back to the client and say, here's where it's going. Here's what it results in, in your life. And here's what would happen if something unexpected or bad were to occur. And if we took a little bit of that cash flow and put this roof over your financial house in the form of bulletproof and insurance up and down the line, then how would you feel about that? And so that your life is the same, you can still enjoy cable TV and go on vacations, that, that doesn't change. It's the other wastefulness of cash flow that we're able to identify. That's where your expertise comes into the room. And that elephant that you spoke of is real, and you have the ability to get that elephant out of the room so people can design their insurance the way it should be designed. And one other quick comment on this is that I've heard the expression, people say, I don't want to be insurance poor. In other words, they don't want to spend a fortune on insurance products that they never use. But at the same time, they don't want to be poorly insured if something bad happens. And I, I think what what they are, are I guess, um, what they've been exposed to previously is this notion that if I'm going to have more protection, my net worth or my wealth building is going to suffer. And yet, if we can find dollars that are already being wasted on the balance sheet, it's already, it's already disappearing, like you mentioned, the, the debt or taxes. If you can capture some of that money and use that to protect, you might find that your net worth at the end of your career might be higher and you had better protection. So we just we have to look at this stuff holistically. And I, I find that most people who are willing to look at this that way, um, they find that this isn't that hard of a topic at all. It's actually quite easy. That's right. And, and we don't apologize for the important role that insurance plays. It just happens to be that it's, it's an important element to real financial success. It, it can't be that if this doesn't happen or that doesn't happen, then I'll be okay. It has to be that you're successful in all possible scenarios. And that's what I love about 
advisors that use a living balance sheet. We, we work with clients over the long haul. We help them succeed beyond that that they thought was possible. And even if mishaps occur, they, they look at us and say, thank you. Thank you for making sure that we were properly protected in the process. And that, that sort of is a great place to end because I will say, uh, Jim, it's been a pleasure of mine to interact with you in this capacity for these two sessions. And if, if someone listening in is fortunate enough to be able to connect with someone like you, Jim McGovern, then everything in their financial world starts to tick in the right direction. The, the financial future that they've always dreamt of now becomes a reality because you go about things the right way and you really have said no to some of the failed approaches that have held people back for far too long. So thank you for all that you do for the public and the clients that you serve. Awesome, Bob. And thank you for being so gracious with your time and, and coming on to share so much important wisdom. I know this is going to be two really popular episodes. I think there's going to be episodes that people listen to again and again, because uh, even myself, just listening to the first episode, yeah, there's a there's a lot of great nuggets there that uh, yeah, folks may miss the first time. So so thanks again, Bob. And uh, before I turn it back over to Patrice, you know, as you listen to these two episodes, there's a lot of steps to take. There's a lot of things to just assess for yourself and discover if there's some improvements that are possible in your in your financial life. So in the show notes, there is a link to a tool that has no cost that allows you to just pop in some information, things you know off the top of your head, and it'll give you an assessment of these steps that we walked through in these last two episodes. And you might discover that, wow, there are some gaps here, and they'll give you some suggestions on ways to improve. Uh, but also, if you want to have a conversation, there's even a button to just click that it'll connect you with our team and we'll reach out to you and we'll have a more personal conversation about what your situation looks like. So with that, Patrice, let me turn it back over to you to wrap us up. All right. I will indeed. This was a great discussion, gentlemen. I, I learned a lot myself. All right. Now, listeners, Bob and Jim have offered a list of action items to help you create a balanced and confident financial life, but it is now up to you. And follow this podcast, Maximizing Outcomes, to know when a new episode is ready for you. Of course, please share with others. I'm Patrice Sikora, and thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode, or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. 
McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA Insurance License Number 0F67329 AR Insurance License Number 7119103 California Insurance License Number 0F67329 Arkansas Insurance License Number 7119103 Compliance Number 2023-165149 expires December of 2025. A world-class saver is a person who saves at least 15 to 20% of gross income. The Living Balance Sheet is a registered trademark of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Copyright 2024.